Go over to Psalm 51 tonight, uh, excuse me, Psalm 71. I'm used to saying Psalm 51, right? You go there often, I'm sure. Psalm 71 this evening. Uh, and I want to I talk about and, and show you some things from the Word of God regarding the next generation. One thing that's been heavy on my heart, uh, even before I went to Africa, is, is the generation that has come up behind me. And technically now there's two generations behind me. Uh, I'm, I'm a Generation X uh, uh, member, and some of you are as well. And then there's the Millennial Generation, and even now my children are part of Generation Z. And we'll talk about that in just a little while. I'll give you some stats on that. Uh, but I, I have a burden for the generations that are younger than me. You know, when I first went into ministry, I was consumed by trying to reach my own generation. You know, the ones older than me, I mean, I, I want to witness to them as well, but sometimes they look down at me as a kid, and so I didn't seem to have much influence uh, with the older generation, so I was focused on my generation. But I'm old enough now where I'm more concerned about the younger generations than my own. Now, I still want to see my own generation uh, saved, the one before me, uh, but my, my, my heart has definitely grown in its desire to see the younger generations get the truth and be born again. And David uh, teaches us this in this Psalm 71. He says in, sorry, in verse number 15, it says, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to every one that is to come. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who hast done great things. O God, who is like unto thee, thou which hast showed me great and sore troubles, shall quicken me again, and shall bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Here in Psalm 71, we, we, we see some, thing, some things about David's heart, how he's concerned about the generation after him. He's old, he's gray-headed, and he wants that generation, the one just underneath him, he wants them to know who God is, to know His power. He wants to be able to declare to that generation who God is in His wonderful works. And, 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 I, and I guess I'm starting to qualify. My wife will tell you the, the gray hairs coming in. And so maybe that's what begins to qualify you for being more concerned about the next generation. Will they know who God is? Will they understand? And, and can I testify to them of who God is in my life and what He's done for me so that the ones after me can say, I want to know His God. I want to know the God of my father or my grandfather. And David made it clear in verse 15 that he, his, his mouth would show for God's righteousness. And he would speak of God's salvation he doesn't know how many days he has. So every day he wants to invest in proclaiming that truth. He was going to show forth and go in the strength of the Lord and make mention of his righteousness. And we have a generation today that needs to hear about God's righteousness. You know, in Romans 13, um, excuse me, Romans chapter 10, it talks about they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. 
And you see, we have a generation today that is the same way. You see, if we're not trusting in God's righteousness, whose righteousness are we trusting? It's, there's only one other option. And yet, you have a generation today that's not going to church in America. You say, well then, who's righteous? They're, they're still trusting their own righteousness. It's just apart from any man-made religion. But they're still trusting in their own spirituality and righteousness. Therefore, we still, even in this generation, need to proclaim the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who he is. We ought to declare, as verse 17 says, his wonderful works. People need to know and hear about what God is doing. People need to understand that that God is truly at work in my life so we can reach this next generation. And I think when, when I know his character, look at verse number 19. It says, Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who has done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? You see, for, for the psalmist, for the psalmist, God and his works, his righteousness, it was very real in his life. Therefore, making it easy to proclaim to the next generation. It's really, it's really hard to testify and proclaim something you don't know. Or something that you've just heard about. You know, you, you ever have a friend come back and tell you about their vacation experience and going to this place and, and you hear that testimony and then you turn around and tell someone else about it. Boy, it's just not the same, is it? Than the, the guy that was there. And so we, we need to have this true in our own heart so that we, when we know God and His character, we can declare it to the next generation. And from that personal experience, we have personal confidence of proclaiming the truth to the next generation. So here's a question for you. What do you have to declare to the next generation? Well, I'll just give them John 3.16. Well, amen. Good. But is there not more? Is there not more? What, what is going on in your life? How has God been at work in your life? What do you know of God's character that you can proclaim and testify about to the next generation? What will you declare to your own generation, the one following you? 1944 to 1964, people born in that time frame are called the baby boomers. They are currently 55 to 75 years old, and there are 76 million in America. Generation X, of which I'm part of, you say, why do they call it Generation X? Because after the baby boomers, they didn't know what to call the next generation, so they just put an X there, and it stuck. They didn't know, so we just put an X. And so the Generation X, born between 1965 and 1979, currently 40 to 54 years old, and there's 82 million of us in America. After my generation is Generation Y. The letters just follow after that. Renamed the Millennials because when they're finally of age, it's at the turn of the millennium. And they were born between 1980 and 1994, currently 25 to 39 years old, 73 million. And that is the generation I'm heavily burdened for in America. How are we going to reach them? They're different. They think differently. They function differently than Generation X, than the boomers. We also have Generation Z, born between 1995 and 2015, currently ages 4 to 24, 74 million in America. 
little early yet to figure out how we're going to reach them. They're, they're still growing up. They're still, they're still younger. Not all of them. You know, the older, older portion of that are 18 and, and 24. And we've got to be thinking about reaching them. But, but the, the majority of the people younger than me are, are part of Generation Y or the millennial generation. And they're different. They think differently than my generation. They think differently than the generation before me. I was reading how people from Generation X and also from the boomers are, are loyal to a particular brand. They find a brand of something that they like and they stick with it. We were talking about that over dinner. You know, you get the Ford guys and the Chevy guys, right? And once you get your brand, you stick with it. I, I'm, I'm that way with a lot of things. I was just calculating my mind. I've been with the same auto insurance company for 25 years. I could probably save a little bit of money. You know, 15 minutes, right, could save you. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm loyal to my brand. And that's, that's just... Part of, part of how I was raised and part of, part of how I think. But the millennials are not that way. I, I would say this about millennials. They're, they're loyal to themselves and whatever's best for them. And I, I know that every generation is selfish. That's our sin nature. But there, there's something unique about how they express themselves and, and how they think in the millennial generation. It's probably I, I see a number of millennials in the audience tonight. In my generation, X and before, especially boomers, they're, they're, they bank at the local branch office, right? My generation will use some technology, computer or mobile, but still prefer to go to the branch. And that's, that's definitely me. You can ask my family, why, why are you going in the, in the branch? Well, that's how I bank. That's how I, how I like to do it. But the millennials, why, why go to the branch when you can use your phone? The point, the point behind all this is, is that in each generation, there's different thinking. And therefore, perhaps different methodology of getting them the timeless gospel. The message should never change, but are there not different ways of reaching the millennial generation and then, of course, the generation Z that is upcoming? I'm not here tonight to talk about different avenues and, and, and ways of doing that. I'm just presenting the idea that perhaps you're already aware of that we need to be thinking beyond how we think if we're going to reach the next generation. We've got to, we've got to go beyond that. It's the same salvation. It's the same Bible. But there are other ways. And one of the reasons I think that we can be discouraged today, and this is where I wanted to focus more on, is, is that we can be discouraged today in thinking, oh, nobody's getting saved. Oh, what's, what's the use in evangelizing? What's the point in passing a gospel tract? No one's going to read it. What's the point in me witnessing at work? Why should I go door to door? Why should I do this? Why should I be involved? Nobody's responding. How many of you, who, who will raise your hand? How many of you have ever wrestled with thoughts like that? We'll be honest. All right. At least, at least half. The rest of you just need to be honest and raise your hand. We, we wrestle with that. And we, we have an enemy that wants us to think that way. He wants us to think that it's pointless. He wants us to, to think that the battle is lost and to give up. He wants us to think that it's over. There's no use. Just sit back. You stay faithful and go to church and do, do your thing and live the Christian life on your own and, and, and don't worry about who's out there. And that can be, that can be 
selfish and it can be even um, somehow we can even spiritualize it. Hey, well, at least at least I'm doing what's right. But part of doing what's right and being a Christian means we're going out Amen. with the gospel and we have a generation that needs to be reached. Sometimes we get caught up in the methodology of yesteryear, the prior generation, that perhaps is limiting what we could be doing. And, and, and it's hard. It's hard for Generation X to get outside of how we think. Or for baby boomers to get beyond how they thought in their generation. How are we going to do that? The enemy wants us to think that, that it's not worth it. And, and he wants us to question what God has said. You think about it this way. If the enemy can get us to question in our mind and, and to have our thinking to question God, of course, how did he deal with Eve in the garden? Yea, if God said. He started with just getting a question in the thinking. Because when the thinking is then off, then the attitude is off and therefore the action is off. If the enemy gets us to think, oh, what's the use? It's, people aren't going to get saved anyway. Then my attitude begins to change like, oh, I'm not going to waste my evening doing that. I'm not going to waste my breath on that person. We begin to develop an attitude that is ungodly and sinful towards the command that God has given us to go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. You realize we have, what did I say, 80, 83, 83 million, excuse me, 74 million in our nation from ages 24 down to 4. And I don't know about completely how things are in Missouri, but I can tell you in New York when I was there, the younger generation was very ignorant of who Jesus Christ is. I, I have asked and interviewed many people up there, do you know who Jesus Christ is? They don't know. And they're not even foreigners. Could that, could that level be in our nation? Yes, it is. We have a generation coming up that does not know. And we have a generation that's older that thinks it's useless, it's pointless, it's not going to work. Therefore, I don't care. I'm not even going to bother. And therefore, my actions are changed. I stop obeying God with the Great Commission. You know, talk about an easy victory for the enemy is if we're just sitting back doing nothing because he's got into our thinking to change our attitude and therefore change our action when it comes to the gospel. He wants us to question God's command to go into... Look look at Matthew 28 with me. He He wants us to question whether we should be going into all the world with the gospel. Look, Look what the Lord says in... Oftentimes we use this verse in a different way, but I want you to see something here. Verse 18 of Matthew 28, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Watch this. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I've used that verse many times to teach the perpetuity of the New Testament church because this is a command given to the Lord's church and, and this command is given and, and, and the Lord's church will always be there and the Lord will always be with His church. But at the same time, 
It's telling us that we ought to, to the end, be going forth with the Great Commission. And that includes America in 2019. Here's something I can't get away from. There are still souls to be saved in America. There are so, I mean, it's, it's been great to, to go from New York to Swaziland. It, they're almost, almost polar opposites when it comes to the gospel and their response. And I would put Missouri somewhere in between the two. Oklahoma, Texas, you know, I appreciate there, there's a lot more Christian culture in this part of the country compared to the coasts. But there are challenges and problems in, in all parts, right? In Swaziland, it's, it's culturally, they're very open to hearing about the gospel because they're very open and zealous for spiritual things. It's just the truth thing that they have a hard time with. You know, it's, you know, you know and remember in John 4 when Jesus said, you must worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, they're all for being what they think is spiritual, but the truth side is lacking. And sometimes here in the States, we can, we can have the corner on the truth, but... We're lacking in the spiritual zealous side, aren't we? And of course, the Lord wants us to have both in our hearts. But the enemy wants us to think that, that, that the battle is, is over, it's not worth it. He, he wants us to think that, that it, it's too late. But the Lord gave us a commission that's to last till the end. There are still souls to be saved today. I'm with you always. And if the Lord's present with his church, it means there's still people to be saved that he wants to use you to reach with the gospel, even those of the next generation. You say, well, preacher, don't you understand? It's the days of Noah. It's going to become hard. Yeah, I understand it's going to get hard. But smile. It's not that hard yet. It's not that bad compared to what it's going to be. And so we ought to be sowing. We, we, you know, and maybe you don't wrestle with this. Maybe I'm the only one. But I've wrestled with the thought of what's the use? No one's listening. No one seems to care. In fact, people don't want to come to church in New York. Us Christians. And forget the lost. They really don't want to be in church. So what do we have to do? We've got to go out there with it. And I think, I think it's a generational thing. We've been too dependent upon people coming into the house of God to hear the gospel. But we ought to be going out there to win them with the gospel. Satan wants us to question that. He wants us to question God's ability to save. It's not that God can't save. Isaiah 59, 1 says that. The, Lord, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But what? Your sins have separated. And so we know that God can save, whether it be spiritually speaking, physically speaking. God is able to save. And that those verses are teaching us that sin gets in the way. That's the problem why God doesn't hear. But the point I want to bring out from that is God can still save today. It's just do, do sinners want to be saved? And whether they want to be saved or not, that's between them and God. I still have a responsibility to go with, to them with the gospel. Satan also wants us to question God's timing. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. He wants us to question God's timing. Satan wants people to think that it's too late. Now sometimes we have this question too. 
Oh, it's getting so bad in this world. Why hasn't the Lord returned yet? My dad told me that back in the 1970s, he was a street preacher in New York City. And he and the guys that would preach together in the 1970s, they thought for sure that the Lord would return then because it couldn't get any worse than the 1970s. And, and here we are, almost 50, you know, practically 50 years later, and the Lord hasn't returned. Why? Look, look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you can read the context. It's talking about the Lord's return. I believe there's one reason why the Lord has not returned yet. It's because there are still souls that are going to come to the place of repentance. And I take joy in that. God is so long-suffering that He's willing to, to endure the offense of our sin before His holiness every hour of every day. God is long-suffering, and He's still waiting for the next soul to repent. And to think that God could use me to preach that message or to witness to that one who will repent before it's too late. We were thrilled. You saw in the video, I, I, was, I was amazed. Three souls saved in three weeks. I've never seen that in my ministry. Didn't see it coming. We were just faithfully preaching and teaching and witnessing, praying for souls. But God was at work behind the scenes that I couldn't even see. Last Sunday of March this year, uh, one of the guys, Mosby, he after the service was done, he, he stayed behind. And he knew he was lost. And he knew why. He says, it's my self-righteousness. I, I, I think it's all about... And, and wow, did he, his heart just open before God. And, and we went through some things in the scriptures. And within just a little while, he was saved. The following Sunday... Now, he's a student there at the College of Technology. One of his classmates. She'd been coming to our Bible studies as well. And then the following Sunday, she got saved. Same thing. It was her self-righteousness that was getting in the way of her seeing Christ's righteousness. But God opened up her eyes so she could see who she was, and more importantly, who He is, and she was saved. And just when you thought, oh, wow, two, two souls and two, wow, I've never seen this in my entire saved life. Anywhere. I've heard about it in the years gone by. On that Friday... One of the young men, he was the last one, he's hard to understand. His name is Ntogwazisi. Pastor, I need to meet with you. Okay, what's going on? So we, 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 we met, and he got saved that Friday afternoon. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. We, we have a responsibility to preach, to teach, to witness, to pray. God is the only one that can save. I can't save anybody. And God's timing, God has a perfect time for everybody. I didn't see it coming, but the Lord was long-suffering, waiting for these souls to repent. Here, here are some things I want us to, with all of that said, that's my intro, by the way. I want, I want you to go home with these three thoughts. What, what does the next generation need? Swaziland's like going back in time. A generation or more. Spiritually speaking, it's like going back in time. 
It's, Swaziland is spiritually what I, what I believe America was in the 1960s and 70s from what I hear. In America, we are much further declined in, in our spiritual condition. But I'm still burdened for the next generation in America. How are we going to reach them? What can we do? How can we, how can we reach them with the gospel? Here's, here's three things I believe they need to know. I don't have any uh, magical formulas. But I do believe there are three things I'm going to show you in the scriptures tonight that will help us reach the next generation. How you get this truth to them? Well, that's between you and the Lord and your pastor and how he leads MZ, MZBC. However he leads you in that. But here, here is what they need to know. Number one, they need to know God's character. One of the challenges we face in America is we have a generation that does not know the character of God. If you're a generation X or earlier, we grew up in, in a culture, it, praise God, if you grew up in a home or you went to a church where the character of God was regularly proclaimed and it seems like society as a whole understood a lot of the character of God. But we have a generation today that does not have that being given to them. Usually at home, they're not getting it. A lot of times they go to church, they're not getting it. In society, they're not getting that. And so we have a generation that does not know or understand the character of God. Back in Psalm 71, the psalmist wants them to understand and know the righteousness of God. Why? Because righteousness is a part of who God is. He is holy. He is right. He is just. He has no sin. It is impossible for him to sin. He cannot lie. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's long-suffering. He's good. He's love. He's kind. Things that to, to me and my generation, of well, who doesn't know that? There's a generation that doesn't know that. And, and, and you can't always go by children raised in church, but go out into society. I, I enjoy interviewing people. I enjoy uh, whenever I can. I was on an airplane ride a couple weeks ago, and uh, a young lady from the millennial generation, I said, can I interview you? She said, sure. Uh, just a few days before that, a young man from the millennial generation. Can I interview? Sure. Why? I want, I want to try to get into their mind and, and see how they think. And, and when you do this, you can witness at the same time. It's really fun. But I want, I want to get into their mindset and see how much they really know of who God is. And I think that's important in our witness today when we get out there and trying to reach the younger generation. We must declare and proclaim who God is. They need to understand His character. They need to understand that, he, that everything He does is good. That His works are, 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 are wondrous and He's righteous and, and just and he's a, he's a good God. We need to declare His character as the Bible describes Go to Psalm 100 with me. Here's the second thing. Besides knowing God's character, they need to know God's word. 
And of course, one of the best ways for them to understand God's character is to give them the word of God. But even beyond the character of God, connected to that, they need truth. They need the truth proclaimed to them. They need to understand what the Bible says, because a lot of times they don't. You know, in the generation before me, it was people understood that who God was and, and is still, but they also a lot of times knew a lot of Bible truth. Average person in society. And so for, for the longest time, it was just a matter of getting them the right plan of salvation. And so you'd spend time with people showing them the Bible plan of salvation because the false religions had all these false plans. But we have a generation today that you just can't go to the plan of salvation for a lot of them because they don't even know truths of the Bible. They're not even so sure there is a heaven or a hell. They're not so sure there is an afterlife. They're not so sure what righteousness is and who decides that. They're not so sure that the Bible is truly the Word of God and not just some writing that some man came up with. We, we, have, to go, we have to go back with the younger generation and, and establish truth. And of course, to establish God's character, to establish truth, we just give them the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit, what He will use. But I've had this thought. Will they receive his word as truth if they don't trust his character? That's a generational problem. Do they know his character? Can they trust his character? Otherwise, will they even trust his promises? Will they even believe his word to be true if they don't trust who he is? And so I believe declaring his character is vital and important. Psalm 100 verse 5 says this, For the Lord is good. There's his character. His mercy, more character, is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. That, that verse jumps off the page at me because God wants His truth to all generations. Generation Y or the millennials, Generation Z, they need to know God's truth. God has given them His truth for their generations. Well, it's for all generations. We can no longer depend on culture to teach people truth. You know, in the sports stadiums, to this day, they still put up John 3.16, right? But to the millennial, do they even know why they do that? Who's John? What does 3 mean? What's the colon mean? 16. What is that? If they were raised in yesteryear, oh, that's for God to love the world. That he, you know, they know that. And it's a reminder, but we have a generation today that does not even know that. And we've got to declare it to them. They need to know who, his character. They need to know his truth. And here's the last one. Go to Psalm 33 with me. Psalm 33. They need to know God's heart. They need to know God's character. They need to know God's word. And I think this is so important. They need to know God's heart. You know, in yesteryear, people knew that God loved them, loves them. The average lost person knew that. But the generation today, they, they don't necessarily think that way. They're not necessarily thinking, oh, God loves me. 
They're not thinking that, that the, the, the Bible is the Word of God. They don't know the character of God. They don't know what God thinks of them. Look at Psalm 33, verse 11 says, it says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. Uh, back at the beginning of July, we were at family camp up in North Dakota, and I was speaking with our assistant pastor. We were talking about the generation. He's a millennial. And we're talking about the, the younger generation, how to reach them, and how America is, and, and all, all the things we've been talking about tonight. And the next morning, in my devotions in Psalm 33, it just jumped off the page at me that God wants the counsel of His heart to all generations. That means that God wants the thoughts of His heart in every heart and mind of a millennial and a Generation Z. And that's a burden that God puts on me. As, as, the, as the psalmist said in Psalm 31, to, to, bridge, to bridge the gap between the generation that's gone before me and the one that's coming behind me. Can God use my life to, to cover that space? I have the testimony of the preachers before me, the generation before me, grandparents. I've got their testimony. I've, I've seen what God has done in their lives. And will I have that in my life and take that to the next generation? Well, you. It's not enough that my grandparents, it's not enough for my parents. It needs to be in my life so it can go to the next generation. And God wants the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Will you take it there? Will you take his, his thoughts to that next generation? They need to know his counsel. That it will stand forever. His counsel on sin. You know, this generation, uh, we, we have a generation that's even questioning what gender they are. Yeah. They, they need the counsel of the Word of God coming from a gracious and loving heart to, to kindly, gently, and yet firmly declare God's counsel and the love that God has for them to show them what's right and wrong. Every soul out there needs to. We have a generation that needs the counsel of God's heart. Will God use you and me to show them? They need counsel on life, counsel on what's right and wrong, so on and so forth. And you know that God's heart and His heart, that He has thoughts to them, that He, that he loves them but hates their sin. In, we won't look there, but in Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 11, God says that the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of peace... Even though there's a generation that, that questions his existence, they question what's right, they, they question everything. But God still loves them. And he wants his counsel to reach them. The counsel of his heart. It was given to us in the word of God to reach their generation as well. And God's invitation of Isaiah chapter 1, come now, let us reason together. Say It still stands for them. But we've been, we've been so, subtly... Our minds have been persuaded by the enemy, maybe even by circumstances. Say, what's, what's the use? Why does it matter? They're not going to listen anyway. You don't know that. You don't know what God is doing in their hearts. Let me, let me get, leave you an, an illustration and an example of what I've learned recently. Well, a few years ago, a young man was saved up in, up in Fishkill. 
when I was pastoring. His, his name is, is Taj, currently uh, back in his native country of, of Jamaica. And when Taj was saved, he, he's a millennial. I was asking him, trying to learn a lot from him, how to do this, how, how do I reach his generation. But one, one thing that he said to me uh, stands out. He said that growing up, he had a lot of questions. And anytime you'd ask a question to clergy or people at church or, or, or I, don't, I don't even know if it was at home, but mostly at church, he was told, don't ask questions. Just do what you're told. Just listen to what they say. Don't ask questions. But he had questions. One thing I see about millennials, they've got questions. And they don't just want to be told something without understanding why. I get that. Now, I come from a generation where, you know, and especially the one before me, the baby boomers, they, they were told what to do. Okay. And, and, and for the most part in society, yeah, we're just going to listen. If the authority says it, and I, yes, I know there was the rebellion of the 60s and 70s. I, I understand that. But society as a whole, at that point, would listen to what they were told when it comes from a credible source. But we have a generation today that they're, they're questioning everything. And he, and he says, we, do, we don't want us to be told. We want to be taught Why? You know, I'm not teaching parenting tonight because I believe that there's a time with children and you just tell them and they do it. They don't need to know why. But you know what's best for children as they get older? They need to know why. So they can apply it in every scenario, not just in the one you've programmed them to respond to. And I had a millennial just a few weeks ago tell me. He says, I, he said, he said, and he's, he's not even saved. And he says, I don't want to be told. I want someone to teach me. And then that, that, that gripped my heart. The Great Commission is going to go into all the world and, and teach. And I'm not, I'm not against preaching. I'm not even against getting loud and preaching. I'm not against that. But people need to be taught and instructed and given truth from the Word of God. To graciously, graciously do so. I'll close with this thought in, 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 in Luke 4, verse 22. When, when Jesus Christ was teaching the scriptures in the temple, it says in verse 22, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Can we not graciously, yet firmly, and, and, and powerfully, by the Spirit of God, by his power, Go forth to a younger generation and give them the counsels of God's heart. Give them truth. Give them who God is. But may, but may we tonight forsake the lies of the enemy that says, don't, don't, don't waste your time. Don't, don't worry. Don't, don't do that. Don't get involved. They're not, don't listen to those lies. God says he wants the thoughts of his heart to go to all generations. And that has just spurred me forward. There's a generation for us to reach.